Brothers and sisters, we are continuing on with what we started last week through the passage that I presented. And Brian, we thank you for your testimony last week. Turn with me to Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you sustain us, Lord. God, I thank you for your salvation. Lord, it is the most important thing that could ever happen to us, that you save us, Lord. God, let us be humble in this time. Lord, I ask that you give us your gracious mercy. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us salvation And it's not of us that we cannot claim it. We cannot boast of it. Lord, it is all your work. We are depraved mankind. And you redeemed us, those who are yours. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So the Apostle Paul opens the letter to the Romans. With the theme of the gospel, we see Romans 1.1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He is set apart for the gospel. He's writing to the church in Rome with plans to come to them in hopes to share with them spiritual gifts. That's indicated in verses 10 and 11 here. He says, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now, at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gifting to you, that you may be established. Verses 13 through 15, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you. So also even as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul again wants them to understand, to be aware that he is trying to get to them. He's been delayed. He's been prevented. Okay, But he proclaims here that he has an obligation as the apostle to the Gentiles to bring the gospel to them, to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. And now, don't get me wrong, he's writing to a church here. So... Obviously, the church is saved, but he wants to 
bring the gospel, be able to preach the gospel in Rome. The gospel has been brought to Rome. He's preaching to, he's writing to a church. And this leads us to our statement that Paul makes here in verse 16 and 17. He makes the powerful statement that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Okay? He also states that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you want to see the power of God? Look at a saved life. Power of God is in a saved life. Now people say, well, look at creation. Okay, look at creation. Yeah, that is some of the power of God. Okay, that is a demonstration of the power of God. But do you realize that God only had to speak to create creation? But you know what it took to save man? God came to earth. God suffered. God was hung on a cross. He was killed. He gave himself up so that man would be redeemed. That is a lot more than just speaking. That is more difficult than speaking. God humbled himself as a man. That is power of God. If you want to see the power of God, look at a redeemed life. Yes, there are more things that demonstrate the power of God, but that is an extraordinary example. You see a redeemed life, you see a miracle. With that being said, let's look at the gospel. Because that's what this all stems out of. Okay, The word gospel literally means good news. Okay, In the text... It's in reference to the salvation work of Christ Jesus. So you think the gospel of Christ, think of the good news of Christ. Okay? We see when the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, I have four things here that I see are addressed. Okay? Number one is the depravity of man. Okay? If man does not know that he is depraved, then he is not going to understand what it means to be saved from that. Okay? Number two, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God shows us that we could never be right with God, no matter what we do. Number three, the salvation of Christ. The saving work of Christ is paramount because if Christ never hung on that cross and he never took our sins, then it's not possible. Number four is the forgiveness of God. If God doesn't forgive, it is not possible to be saved. It's not possible to be saved 
from your depravity. Today we're going to look at the depravity of man. And I don't mean to beat anybody up over this. Okay? This is, uh, this is something that can be kind of brutal. But for the gospel to be proclaimed, it has to be addressed. So, we look to Romans 3.23. Paul proclaims here, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Natural man, many times, can look at that and say, Yeah, nobody's perfect. I've sinned. But the second part of that is that you fall short of the glory of God. Okay? Natural man cannot believe that without the supernatural working of God in their life. Natural man tends to believe that they are God in themselves. They don't they may not say that, but the actions of natural man says that I am making myself in place of God. If you have anything that you worship or whatever, it's in place of God. And self is forefront in that. And we see some of this here, Romans three, ten through eighteen. God has made it very clear. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before the natural man. The natural man does not fear God. The fear of God is the beginning of salvation Natural man does not fear God. The rest of chapter 1 here in Romans gives us also some insight to the depravity of man. Verses 18 through 25 shows us the direct rebellion of man towards God. We would read this here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature so have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over 
in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. It says they did not honor them as God. It says they profess to be wise. Their hearts are darkened. And so we see now, verses 26 through 32, what man does when God pulls back his restraining work and leaves them to their depravity. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards another, towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and the receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. We see this today. This is welcome to our world. Look at what our government's doing. Look at what the governments of the world are doing. We see this today. This is nothing new. And it was back in Paul's time. He's writing this as what they are doing back then. One place that, uh, one thing, one thing that's interesting to me is he says they're inventors of evil. Man invents sin. Man invents ways to sin. Mankind has invented ways to sin. You don't believe me? Who taught anybody to lie? Did anybody, any of you teach your kids to lie? I don't think so. Throughout history, we see that man has invented all kinds of evil. Now this may be a little graphic, but the first evil that came into the world was a lie. Look back at me, Genesis 2.17. We see Adam's Bible here. Okay? This was Adam's commands from God. Genesis 2.17 But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. God gave command, you don't eat of this tree. Okay? Simple, right? Think you can follow that? Okay? All right. 
So now, let's look forward. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. For from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Where's the lie? Eve said, But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it. That's not what God said. God did not say that. God said, You shall not eat from it. There's the first lie. Okay? Satan added the second one, that you will not die. God told them that they will die. And they surely did. Because of the lie... Because of those two lies, sin and death flooded into the world. And that is evil. Okay? Evil was invented right then and there. Now, I don't know why Eve told the serpent that shouldn't touch the tree. I don't know if Adam told her. We're not told. I don't know if it was something that Adam was saying, well, we're not just, let's just not touch it because I want to be protected of that. Okay? But, for whatever reason, we don't know, we're not told. There was a lie. And that led to that, to, through lies and disobedience, death and depravity, came to man in the world. And we see it all around us. Animals die, trees die, people die. Stuff decays. If you don't maintain something, it dies. <laughs> you don't feed it, it dies. Okay? And this is confirmed through Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Don't go too far because we're coming back to Genesis, by the way. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Okay. So we look at Genesis 4. Okay. 7 and 8. This is God speaking to Cain. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Where did that come from? That's the first murder ever. The first murder ever. Who taught him that? I don't think his parents did. 
That is the work of Satan in the world. That is the sin of self. Cain was mad at his brother. Why was he mad at his brother? He's the one who did the wrong. But he came up with self. His self rose up. And we see this throughout history. It was recorded the judges of Babylon were enthusiastic about cutting off feet, lips, noses, blinding people, gutting people, tearing out their hearts as standard forms of punishment. They were enthusiastic about it. Assyrian governors who were delinquent in their deliveries to the kings faced such deaths as flaying and staking, where the official was staked to a peg, which involved the executioner hammering a stake through the lubricated anus carefully in such a way that it only pushed the organs aside. Then, once they were on the stake, they tore the skin off their back. This was such a brutal punishment. And many of the victims lived for days skewered in this manner because of the way they did it. Modern times, we look at what Hitler and the Nazis did in the death camps. Even more recently, we look at what groups like ISIS, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda have done to people that they deem as infidels. People today are still tortured in horrific manners. And that is part of the depravity of man. That is the invention of sin. Inventing new ways to sin. So what about you? Say, well, you know, people say, well, never do anything like that. You know, those are, those are horrible, horrible things, you know. And they might say, not that bad. Many people think, I haven't done anything to offend God. You know, yeah, maybe I've done some things, but I haven't done anything to offend God. Look at 1 John 1, eight. First John 1 John 1.8 If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us if we say we have no sin. The Apostle Paul shows us that the law shows us that we have sin. Turn to Romans 7, 7-11. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except for through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. 
the Apostle Paul said that uh, he didn't know that he coveted until the law told him he did. He didn't know that he was making an egregious act towards God until the law told him he did. And it says, verse 11, that sin deceived him. Sin deceived him. Now the Apostle Paul, (laughs) the Apostle Paul deceived about Scripture? Are you kidding me? He wasn't a slouch. He says in Philippians 3, 4 through 7, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says he was deceived And he knew the Bible. He knew his scripture. He was one of the foremost authorities in his day. And he says that he was deceived. And if he could be deceived, don't think that you couldn't. We also see that James warns us about the deception of sin. James 1, 14-16 But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Sin is deceiving. Sin makes you believe that you are doing what's right. The Apostle Paul thought that he was doing the will of God by arresting and killing Christians. He stood and had the coats of the people stoning Stephen laid at his feet. He guarded the coats as they stoned Stephen. You don't think that you could be deceived? And the law shows us our sin. James 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. If you do not uphold the entire law, always and forever, You're done. There's no hope for you. And you cannot do it. That is the point. You can't do it. So if you think you have no sin, maybe you're deceived. Okay? Maybe you're deceived. But we must understand that mankind has been enslaved to the sinful nature. Paul says in Romans 6.16, 
Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? He says, you are a slave. Choose one, one or the other. You're either a slave to sin, which are those who are not saved, or you're a slave to righteousness, which are those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have been saved. Galatians 3.22, But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Everyone has sin. Everyone needs forgiveness of that sin. That is the depravity of man. Now you might say, so what? So I have sin. Why should that matter? The natural man. Why should that matter? Okay? Why should it matter? Because there's a penalty to that sin. And we saw that in Genesis. Adam and Eve died. Death came into the world. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Which sin is that? All of them. Every single one of them. All of them. 1 John 3.8, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Brothers and sisters, if you are not saved this day, if you do not know what that means, it says here, you are of the works of the devil and you will be destroyed. Understand that. Okay? Now that I've got done beating everything up, beating up the world, I want to bring this to bear. There is an escape from this. We've seen it in two of these passages. Galatians 3.22 The last part of that verse. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Romans 6.23 also declares, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are promised those who believe in Christ. God has given them the faith, the promise of eternal life with Him, and away from your sin, away from the penalty of your sin. You just have to believe, put your trust in Christ, 
And through the power of God, we will see a miracle. That's the saved life. That's the redeemed life, brothers and sisters. Don't mean to beat everybody up. It's not my word. It's His. But God has the redemption for all who believe in Him and put their trust in Him through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, these are not the most popular messages. But we don't have a choice in the matter. You have said that this is what you require. And you have given everything for that requirement. There's no man that can't say that you didn't. Lord, you gave us your son. Lord, he died was crucified, took our sins, and cast them into the pit of hell so that we may live with you in eternity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.